is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. There's uproar over the future of abortion in America after the Supreme Court confirms the authenticity of a leaked draft decision that would strike down Roe versus Wade. Chief Justice John Roberts saying no final decision has been taken, but the arguments are now fully joined. Will the nation now see a big split with more than 20 states banning abortion while the others keep it legal. What's the political impacts with the midterms fast approaching? Will it help Democrats, Republicans? How about the activists on both sides? We'll talk with uh, women who led, led the anti-abortion and pro-abortion groups here in California. And uh, what does this do to the very future of the courts at a time when partisan feelings are stronger than ever? With us now are political analyst Josh uh, Krashauer of the National Journal and law professor and Supreme Court expert David S. Cohn of Drexel University. Uh, gentlemen, thank you both for being with us. Josh, let's uh, start with you. Um, I, I seem to recall that during confirmation hearings, didn't uh, at least two of the uh, current uh, uh, justices on the court say that they thought that Roe v. Wade was precedent uh, and were not likely to overturn it. If they decide to do so, if this, in fact, stands as their final ruling, what does that suggest? Yeah, there were three, I believe, including Justice Sam Alito, who uh, said that uh, that precedent stare decisis carries a lot of weight, uh, and he authored this uh, draft opinion. Uh, so, yeah, there, there is a lot of uh, there's been a lot of political evolution. There's been a lot of political changes since 2007 uh, and, and when, when, when Alito was confirmed. Uh, you know, look, it, the, our politics has gotten more partisan. It's gotten more tribal. The, even the Supreme Court, which has tried to stay above the fray, stay above all, all, all the politics in Washington, has gotten caught up in, in, the, in the food fight. And, you know, I think what this shows is this, the fact that this was even leaked, uh, this sacrosanct space, of, of the Supreme Court chambers, that this actually came out in the public by whoever uh, shows how, you know, tribal we've become, not just in, in our country, but in, in every which issue and, 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 and in every part of the country, right versus left, pro-life versus pro-choice. Uh, this is this is a political civil war of sorts in the country. Right. And if we didn't have culture wars before, which we did, this is going to inflame them even more. Right. And there's a quote we've heard a thousand times uh, all through the Trump presidency, especially when the justices were being were being seated. You know, elections have consequences. Well, now here's one of the ultimate consequences. It is. Uh, and this is the, uh, the this is what happens when you are able to put, uh, you know, nominate and confirm Supreme Court justices on the court. Uh, Republicans had a bad string of luck in, in the 80s and, and 90s where their, their their nominees were not nearly as conservative. Folks like David Souter, uh, even Sandra Day O'Connor didn't, didn't uh, weren't as conservative as a lot of the presidents who appointed them expected. And Trump campaigned in 2016. A big reason why he won, actually, was that he promised to pick uh, conservative justices. There was a sort of a pre-selected list of folks that the conservative Federalist Society put out. Uh, Gorsuch, one of them. Uh, Kavanaugh was on the longer list. Uh, these are, you know, folks that that are, are reliable have been reliably conservative in their past and have enacted so on the, when sitting on the Supreme Court. So this is a long term play from conservatives getting more conservative justices on the court, winning elections and getting them confirmed and, and having a change in jurisprudence. David, we'll um, get a little bit uh, more into the leak and and how it does uh, or doesn't impact the credibility of of the court a little bit later in in the program. But first, uh, let's talk about 
what if this ruling stands and it may not but but if it does stand what its impact would be because as you know there there you know some parts of the country are thinking this is the worst thing that could possibly happen but there are other parts of the country that are in a celebratory mood so is either side more right than the other to feel the way they feel today I think they feel the way because they see what the court is going to do, which is that it appears the court is going to say states get to make up their own policy on abortion. So states like, you know, Oklahoma and Missouri are going to ban abortion or severely restrict it. And the estimates are that that's about half the states that are going to fall into that category. And then states like California, which are strongly pro-choice, are not only going to keep abortion legal, but There are many bills in the California legislature right now that would strengthen the protections for abortion providers, including strengthen the right of people to come to California from out of state to seek abortion in California because it's illegal in their home state. So we're really going to see a nation divided where whether you have a right to abortion depends on where you live um, and whether you're able to travel to a state where abortion is legal will depend on the mean, your means and your privilege. Do you have the money to travel? Do you have the resources at home to care for the kids that you already have when you do travel? Does your job let you off work? So it's really going to be travel is going to be the name of the game, but only some people are going to be able to do that. Josh Crashauer is with us, National Journal and a law professor and Supreme Court expert David S. Cohen of Drexel University. Uh, David, back to you. Surprised at how far this apparently goes? Because there had been a sense that maybe Roe would be whittled, whittled away at over time, or maybe the chief justice even was going to try and find a way to do that with this particular case. And then the way that this uh, this draft ruling on, on the part of, of the justice really minimizes precedent. A year ago, I would have been surprised, but I think the writing's been on the wall. The way they've treated the Texas bounty hunter law and not really cared that that pretty much eliminated abortion for most people in Texas. And then at oral argument, it really seemed like only the chief justice was interested in some kind of compromise, whereas every other justice on the right, and there's five of them, not including the chief justice, they really just played their cards and showed that they wanted to get rid of the right to abortion. So after what's happened in the past six or eight months, this does not surprise me, even though it is shocking to see it on paper or virtual paper, it is not surprising given the the tea leaves have been very clear. Josh, uh, we of course are not used to seeing these draft versions, uh, just the final opinions when they're announced or now I guess nowadays published online. How likely is it that this will not, this draft will not be the actual opinion? I mean, or is it going to be, even if it's not the actual final opinion, close enough that it's tantamount to the same thing? It's a great question. Um, a lot of it stems from who you think leaked the document in the first place. If it, if it was someone on the left from a more, you know, one of the more liberal Supreme Court justices who you may think was so upset that the fact that Roe v. Wade might about might be about to be overturned, maybe you think that there's no chance that that this is going to change things. Uh, there's a lot of speculation in conservative circles that it could be someone uh, on the right who that, that this was a draft circulated in February over three months ago, and. There, there was some talk in conservative circles that originally there were five justices that were willing to overturn Roe v. Wade, but there may have been changes in the months since then. There may have been some compromises or, or, or transaction or deals struck 
um, by John Roberts and, and, and maybe some more pragmatic allies on the court. So if that's the case, maybe this does change. Maybe there weren't uh, five justices that were going to, at this point, overturn uh, Roe v. Wade. And, and this was a strike in the bow from the right to, to remind uh, folks that there were, there was at one point five conservatives that were willing to do so. So it's a great question. I don't think we have a great, great handle on that, but I think right now it's more likely than not that, that there are the, the votes. On the court it, that it, David, I'm curious, because Josh mentioned about maybe there were some deals made and a, a lot of people might be surprised about that. Do these justices make deals with each other? I'm not sure deals is the right word, but they certainly talk while they are drafting opinions and they You know, they have nine different opinions that they have to meld into some kind of group opinion. So they certainly have compromises and they change just things around the edges to make sure that everyone agrees. Back in 1992, when one of the, you know, major Supreme Court abortion cases was happening, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, internal documents that have been released much later, not a leak like this one, internal documents show that the court was poised to overturn Roe in 1992. And it was only because three justices were working behind the scenes did they not overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, And that happened all at the end of May, beginning of June. So I'm not saying that's going to repeat itself this year, but it has happened before that the court took a very extreme position on abortion in the early goings and its deliberations only to come to a less extreme compromise later on. Um, so, yeah, they do work together to piece together a group opinion. Is that why we want these deliberations to be secret? Because people are wondering aloud, and I'm sure you've seen it. Well, why don't they show their homework more often? Why don't we see this, uh, you know, as a regular kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think that we don't see the draft opinions because, you know, just like anyone writing anything, your drafts are just the beginning of your thought process. And especially when you're working with someone else, that other person can give input that will change things. For all we know, the draft that we saw last night was Justice Alito with no input from anyone else. And even if he does wind up having a majority opinion with four other people, those four people are going to offer him feedback and edits. They might want paragraphs taken out, paragraphs put in. It's just the process of a collaborative effort. And so I think that's why we don't see it. Josh, the president this morning indicated that if this, in fact, is the uh, final opinion, that it could have repercussions beyond the issue of abortion. Do you agree? And and briefly, how would that come about? So it's interesting that Alito, in the draft opinion, specifically addressed that point, specifically said that the the, not to draw any larger conclusions about, you know, overturning protections for for gay marriage, for instance, or for other uh, other similar rights that have been uh, protected by the Supreme Court. So that's what he says. Now, you know, a lot of times what a justice writes that doesn't end up uh, end becoming uh, law, you know, becoming precedent that, that, that other, if this is, if this ends up becoming the decision, there may be future uh, Supreme Court rulings that use uh, logic, use judicial reasoning from, from this case. So that's, that's what Alito is saying. I think it's a political cover of some, of, 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 of some um, direction there, but um, it, it, you know, it, I, I, I also think that 
this court is dealing with a lot of major cases in addition with this abortion case. You've got affirmative action at Harvard com- coming down the pike. You've got a, a lot of other big cases. I don't know if they want to bite off more than they can chew. I would be skeptical that there would be any other in the short term, any, any real attempts to roll back uh, past president, including the Bostock decision from a few years ago. David, to you now, because Josh left off saying he thinks it's unlikely other rulings not explicitly in the Constitution would be targeted soon. But does this leave the door open for that? Because it's a lot of the discussion, things that aren't written down tied to the 14th Amendment that we have that maybe we won't someday. Yeah, I think what Josh was saying right before the break really ties in with how you started this. Just because Justice Alito says in this opinion, well, right now, same-sex marriage is safe, contraception is safe. Just think back to the confirmation hearings where they said Roe v. Wade was settled law. They have ways to get around what they've said in the past with you know, finding little holes and ways to get around that. So nothing he said in the draft opinion, again, it's a draft, but nothing that was in the draft opinion should give anyone any comfort that they're not coming for other rights and that they're going to come for them fast. I think that, yes, as Josh said, they have some big ticket issues on the docket right now, but I think what they're showing with taking these big ticket issues and with how maximalist this draft opinion was is that they see an opportunity right now where they have five staunch conservatives on the Supreme Court to rewrite American law and American constitutional law, and they're not going to wait. Josh, it wasn't that long ago when the chief justice said, and I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of, uh, because he was chastising uh, some folks, and he said, you know, there aren't uh, Republican justices, right? There aren't Democratic justices. Doesn't this sort of opinion... um, (laughs) doesn't that really make that a lie to be not at all diplomatic about it? Well, look, the divides in our country um, mirror the divides on the Supreme Court. We're we're a much more ideologically sorted country politically. uh, And and, and I think the, you know, the divisions ideologically in in legal circles and the power of the Federalist Society, the power of the conservative legal movement over the last three decades has really kind of underscored the divides that we have and how we view the law and how the law should be should be interpreted. So, you know, I don't think it's partisan per se. I, I think, and like I said before, you had, um, you know, a lot of Republican judicial nominees like David Souter, you know, Senator Day O'Connor, Kennedy under Reagan. They were, uh, they, they didn't follow the politics. And that, that was something that frustrated uh, Republicans for a long time, that they picked more of the justices, but not all of them lived up to at least conservative expectations. So, you know, yes, we're seeing more, more obvious ideological division but I don't think this is partisan in as much as the country is, is divided ideologically. It's the reality of a divided America, and we're seeing that that percolate on the Supreme Court as well. Well, David, to pick up where, where, where Josh uh, just uh, went, uh, I mean, is it just that in choosing nominees, uh, Republican uh, presidents are being more careful in choosing ones that they're pretty sure are now going to toe the political line? Yeah, I mean, the rallying cry of conservatives for a long time was no more suitors because they didn't want another David Souter put on the the bench by a Republican president who then disappointed them in his rulings and became a reliable liberal vote. Um, So they've really been vetting uh, uh, Supreme Court nominees and other lower court nominees. And I think we've seen just more of a focus from the right to do that with their nominees. But there's also been some luck and you can't minimize luck. During his eight years in office, President Obama had two uh, Supreme Court justices that he was able to nominate and confirm. And in President Trump's four years, he had three. 
So some of this is just the luck of the draw and the timing of people's lives, um, both retirement and illnesses and death. Um, and right now, the Republicans have really benefited from the openings coming, coming when they have presidential uh, control, the presidency and the Senate. Um, and so we're seeing the effects of that. Josh, we have about a minute left, so we'll, we'll end with you with this one. But there are some Democrats out there saying, blow up the filibuster. This is the time. Put this into law. But then on the other side, you can think, well, the Republicans are still kind of on the track to take control, and then they can do whatever they want in a couple of years. Yeah, here's the big problem that Joe Manchin is still not supporting changing the filibuster rules. Kirsten Cinema, who came out with a statement you know, decrying this draft decision also is not coming out to to get rid of the filibuster. And even Manchin, Manchin himself is a pro-life Democrat. So, you know, there's at least one Democratic Senate vote, I think probably the only one in the Senate who may not vote for codifying Roe v. Wade into law, even if that was an option. So again, countries divided, Democrats don't have a big enough majority to to pass anything legislatively, which is why they've been relying on the judicial branch uh, for, and and why, you know, in a a way it could help Democrats politically, by the way, because we haven't had a real all-out political debate over where the lines are uh, in different states and in different 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 races for where, where, where when abortion can be legal and illegal. And now all of a sudden, the Republicans, and especially in some of these swing states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, are going to have to define where they stand on, on these issues. So it may be healthy politically. It may be healthy for our democracy to actually have these discussions, to have these debates, and to see who wins and loses based on actual democratic outcomes. Josh Krashauer, National Journal, Supreme Court expert, David S. Cohen, Drexel University. Governor Newsom, other California Democrats vowing to keep abortion legal here, saying they will work to offer the procedure to women who travel here from other states. Joining us now are two women on either side of the issue here in California. Susan Arnold is a VP of Legal Affairs for the Right to Life League, while Shannon Olivieri Hovis is director of NIRL Pro-Choice California. Both of you Thanks for taking the time to be with us. Uh, Shannon, let's let's begin with you on this one. Um, so provided that this uh, draft opinion, this leaked draft opinion, becomes the opinion of the U.S. Supreme Court when it's eventually announced and or published, uh, this will bring about what in this country, in your view? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So our right to determine if, when, and how to raise a family is in unprecedented jeopardy. The shocking leak of a draft majority opinion in the Jackson women's health case is the most alarming and ominous sign yet of what's to come for the future abortion rights and access in the United States. And I do want to be clear that abortion is still legal, and this is a draft opinion, but the Supreme Court is clearly poised to overturn Roe v. Wade ending the nearly 50-year constitutional right to abortion and allowing states to ban abortion, which we expect roughly or maybe exactly 28 states to do following the ruling. So the consequences will be swift. We are talking about real consequences for real people in more than half of the United States who will be unable to access this critical care that they need within their own state. What happens here in California? We mentioned the governor, the Democrats, trying to put this in the Constitution and then offer help to to women in those other states? Yeah, I think it's important to be crystal clear that the right to abortion is enshrined um, in our statutory laws in California, and it has also been found within our California Constitution that we have a right to privacy and a right to access abortion care. So the right to abortion in California is secure. And we are working to ensure that 
we are adding protections and expanding access in this state to accommodate what is bound to be a significant influx of -of out-of-state patients who do need access care within our borders. California's role in the fight for reproductive freedom truly has never been more important than in this moment. We are a reproductive freedom state. This is a designation that the governor has given us, that the legislature has also affirmed, and we must continue to live into that designation to earn that designation. So NARAL Portraits California is a founding member of the California Future of Abortion Council, and we are preparing California for precisely this moment. This year, we're backing a a 13-bill legislative package to ensure that California is a reproductive freedom state for all people. Okay, Susan, uh, over over to you. Uh, it, it doesn't take a lot to guess that your view is going to be, I would think, uh, very different from what we've just heard. Uh, again, if this becomes the opinion, official opinion of the Supreme Court, in your view, what does this mean for the country, for women in this country? Thanks very much for having me. Uh, my name is Susan Arnall. I am the VP of Legal Affairs at the Right to Life League. That is America's first pro-life organization. We were founded in 1967, long before Roe versus Wade was ever decided. Um, what this draft opinion means is that the, the court has finally corrected the egregious error and the activist ruling of Roe versus Wade which created a right to abortion out of thin air. That's what the penumbra is. They literally decided, well, there's a right to abortion, a kind of privacy thing uh, in the penumbra. That's what Roe versus Wade did. That was the very first time that that was created. Uh, Up until that decision, there was no right in the Constitution. And in fact, if you look through the Constitution, there is no right to abortion. So what the Dobbs ruling will do is correct the error of the Roe versus Wade court and its progeny, Casey. So what will happen going forward? We will return to a a more correct constitutional structure, which is what the, the founding of our nation is based on, which reserves the rights to any issue that is not already claimed in the Constitution, like the right to abortion. It is reserved to the states. So the issue of abortion will return to the states. And already states have begun to allow their their citizens, people in Texas and Oklahoma and Tennessee and other places, are saying, we don't favor abortion unrestricted on demand. We want limits on abortion. We don't think that it's all right to kill children in the womb. So what you're seeing is a re-empowerment of American citizens where they live in their states. Now, the question that you ask is, what will happen in California? Absolutely nothing. The California state has is so far pro-abortion. It is militantly and radically so. It is now pushing through, I believe your guest said rightly, 13 bills. I think there are actually even more. 13 very radical pro-abortion bills. These bills are not about securing the right to abortion. That already exists in California on demand. What it's now doing, what these bills are doing is they are forcing taxpayers to fund abortion on demand, not just for California residents, but also for anyone who comes to California. In fact, one bill, SB 1142, is the abortion vacay bill, the abortion tourism bill. It will have California taxpayers spending money to fly or drive or otherwise transport women 
across state lines to California, give them a free abortion, give them child care while they're here, hotel accommodations, even lost wages, and make arrangements for their insurance, all through a very fancy website, which I believe will probably be operated by the Future of Abortion Council. These, these different groups that have, they need their business model rebuilt. They are now de- demanding that the state fund their business model to kill unborn people in California. I'm just curious, uh, and, and this is addressed to both uh, Susan and uh, Shannon. Is there any middle ground that uh, the two of you, representing two very clearly different sides in this issue, can agree on? Well, thanks for the question. So I think I'll start. Um, Susan is spouting a lot of disinformation in her remarks. And I just want to be extra clear that the vast majority of people in the United States are with us. Polling shows that eight in 10 Americans support the legal right to abortion. And there is no state, not a single state in the country, where banning abortion is popular. Okay, but that wasn't the the question. I want to keep it to the question. The, 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 The question is, is there any kind of middle ground... That 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 the two different sides, because this is going to be a debate clearly that's going to go on for quite some time. So this actually speaks to your question, though, Okay. because because she would have you believe that these are that the people are equal parts on this issue and that this is truly a controversial issue in this country. When the reality is that eight in 10 is not just a a supermajority. That is a consensus. The vast, vast majority of people support the right to legal abortion. And it has been a constitutional right for the last 50 years. For the for most of of the lives of people who who are living these days, I am a 36 year old woman. I have always had the legal right to abortion. That is something I have known, and I have a five month old daughter. And now she has to grow up in a world where that right has been stripped after nearly 50 years. It's an astonishing place we find ourselves in. So I do think it's important to recognize that we cannot look at these as if as if these are two you know equal parts. This is. What Susan represents is a very vocal and well-funded minority, but they are a super minority in this country. Eight in 10 Americans support the legal right to abortion. Susan, what say you Um, to the polling? Because, I mean, the idea uh, that it's supposed to be or people want it to be legal, safe and rare rather than just tossing it all together and taking taking the right away. First of all, let's be very, very clear. The right has not been taken away. Okay, this draft decision simply restores the Constitution as it was written, and it cures a problem that Roe versus Wade created by creating a fake right to abortion that never existed in the Constitution in the first place. If you look at it, the the civil rights of our time, the civil rights issue of our time is abortion. And the Roe versus Wade decision is the Plessy versus Ferguson equivalent. What Dobbs will do if it is, in fact, this leaked opinion and if if Dobbs the true, this is the true opinion, what it will do is Dobbs will become the Brown versus Board of Education. It will cure the Plessy versus Ferguson civil rights violation that Roe versus Wade is. Look, abortion is the ultimate age discrimination. It targets a human being before birth. That is a fact. That is biology. And what 
the abortion industry would have you believe is that they don't have the means to to fund all of this. They're, they're massively funded. They it is a massive funding effort and has been for over 50 years to force people who don't want to fund abortion into funding abortion. That's what NARAL, that's what Planned Parenthood does. It is a lobbying effort that's it's very successful in California. It's a it's a bit of a, a laundering machine where they elect they, they donate to pro-abortion legislators. Then they hand the legislators these different radical bills. The legislators push it all through and then they uh, they get more business going to ab- abortion centers like NARAL and Planned Parenthood. That's what's happening. And yet lost in all of this in all of this discussion, no one's talking about the child what abortion rights activists would call the clump of cells. I'm a clump of cells. So is Shannon. So are you. So is every one of the people listening right now. They are all clumps of cells. And it is absolutely wrong to kill someone for inconvenience. And that is what abortion on demand is all about. And there is no way that there are eight out of 10 people in America who support abortion. Well, but, but, but let me, but, let, but hold on, but let, let me ask you something when you say uh, for inconvenience, but uh, if the ruling also, and I, I haven't read it in its entirety and it's a draft as we keep pointing out, so we don't know what it's eventually going to say, but when you say inconvenience, you would be supportive then of a woman's right uh, to have an abortion if, for example, raped and, and the child is the result of that. Absolutely not. But that's Why not in- is it okay to kill someone? But that's because not inconvenient. The no, but, no, but you Why said. Why would you do that? But you just you just said that that you just said that that somebody who has an abortion is doing it for it for their convenience and and it would be inconvenient. The vast for them majority to- are. The vast oh, majority. Okay, look, but, but what about the institute? What about the minority? What, what, yeah, but what about my question? Still stands. What about a woman who is having a child? Not because they want to, but because that particular woman is a victim of rape. You don't that think is that, that always woman... that is that is always the go to is it is less than one. I believe it's less than one percent. OK, less than two. All right. But what about You're that one? To... But what about that one percent? Let's just address let's, that one percent. Let's talk about let's talk about the 73 percent. No, let's talk. No, 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 no. Let's talk about that one percent. It, it's a simple question. And I don't have an opinion one sure. way or the other. I'm just asking you. I answered it, it already. That one. So. All right. So that one percent should also not be able to have an abortion. Is that am I quoting you correctly? Or you that, should not be able to kill someone in the womb absent a health care crisis like if it endangers the life of the mother such as ectopic pregnancy or such as there are some rare conditions that are you know 13 14 maybe 17 weeks along where there is a genetic anomaly where there is a problem that the child is not survivable it cannot survive and in fact might kill the mother unless you have an abortion and what that is is actually a premature delivery to save the life of the mother. And what we should be doing in those situations, since viability is now flexible, as we all know, it's always been flexible. We've been able to move viability back to about 22 weeks now. And through science and biology, we might be able to move it even further back. They're talking about artificial wombs now and trying it out on sheep and things like that. So perhaps in the future, we might be able to move viability even even farther back towards conception. But in any event, if you have the true uh, uh, fight between the, the 
the, a, a baby that is going to die and maybe injure and then take the life of the mother at the same time, what we can do is premature delivery to save the life of the mother and give that child a chance to life. All right, Susan Arnall, VP of Legal Affairs, the Rights to Life League. Uh, Shannon, let's end with you, give you the, the final say here. Um, when we talk about what we just were with with Susan in the back and forth about this being a, a convenience kind of thing, does a lot get missed here that this is not something that people take lightly when they go to do it? That's absolutely right. This is one of the most personal decisions that a person can make about their lives, their families, their futures. 60% of people who access abortion care are already parents. So this is not... You know, the picture that, that Susan and the anti-choice activists would like to, to paint about who folks who, act, who access abortion care are, that is just not the case. You know, I have a very good friend who just had to access an abortion. It was actually sort of in the spirit of what Susan was just talking about. She had um, severe genetic anomalies, and she had to access abortion care. That abortion care in these states that will be able to ban abortion, should this ruling uh, be finalized, and in effect across this country would actually mean that she can't, she wouldn't if she lived in uh, Missouri, Texas, Oklahoma. She wouldn't be able to access that insanely important and necessary care. I want to talk a little bit about the, the real consequences for real people. Uh, if, if you will entertain me for a second. If abortion is banned, we really need to think about this. How will these bans be enforced? Will people be thrown in jail for having an abortion or a miscarriage? I mean, seriously, what kind of interrogation would somebody be subjected to in order to investigate how a pregnancy ended? And I I wish that this were hypothetical, but the truth is that it is already happening. People across the country are already being arrested or charged for pregnancy outcomes. That includes for experiencing a pregnancy loss, having a miscarriage or a stillbirth or for self-managing their abortion. They go online, they find medication abortion, which you can safely administer for yourself in the privacy of your own home. And so with this, with Roe on the line at the Supreme Court, the threat of criminalization is as dire as ever. And those are the okay. consequences. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there because we are going to run out of time. But we thank you both for joining this discussion. So with us now, uh, political analyst Mark uh, Sandalow of the U.S. Center in Washington, D.C., and Sam Ehrman, professor and constitutional law expert at USC. Sam, let's begin with uh, you. Um, this uh, decision, or at least this this draft decision, and the way it came out, uh, you know, there are all kinds of people who go on social media talking about how this is going to do irreparable damage to the uh, the authority of the court. I don't know. Is that your view? I mean, there have been leaks before throughout the history of the Supreme Court, maybe not on such a major case and maybe not on on a draft opinion uh, so far in advance of the release of the actual one. But do you think it's going to really have much of an impact uh, on a country that's already pretty much divided? Uh, Thanks for having me. And the last thing you said is where I'll start. I don't think it's going to have a huge impact because the court is its reputation has already declined to a great degree. We live in an age of partisan polarization and that's reached the court too. Americans view it relatively cynically. They see it as a relatively political organization. Um, 
And I don't think this breach in the court's normal way of doing things or this pulling back of the curtain uh, is going to do a ton of damage because the damage has already been done. Well, Mark, to you, we were discussing this a little bit in our last couple of segments. Is this actually what Americans overall want? I mean, the polling does not show it. The, the majority of people think it should be available with restrictions, right? Right. This is uh, like guns. This is one of those issues where the the opposition to gun control, the opposition to legal abortions um, it is a clear minority. And this is an unpopular view yet it's been used politically in precisely the opposite way. Those people who want abortions to be illegal tend to vote on that as a, as a deciding factor far more than other people. So that while other people say, yeah, the economy is important and foreign policy is important, and of course I'm in favor of a woman's right to choose, there are a lot of folks who say the only reason they will vote for a candidate is because they are against legal abortions. So that's tended to be the way that things have gone, at least you know, in, in my lifetime. The, th- this changes things. I mean, this is, uh, and who knows what the motive was for the leak, but that might have been part of it. This is going to, uh, for an awful lot of women, say this is likely to be taken away from you. And unless you do something about it, unless you vote for you know more Democratic senators or, or something, this is the way that it's going to be. And I do think that as a result, the left is doing all it can to, to fire up its base, not to convince the court. I mean, Biden called on the court to not do this. That's not going to work. But you can certainly call in voters to elect Democrats who will confirm different folks or elect like Democrats who will simply enact legislation to make abortion legal. So, Sam, is the Supreme Court then uh, everything from gun rights to uh, abortion rights? Is it then a, a vehicle to uh, sort of codify what minorities of the country, the minority population thinks? And is that such a bad thing? traditional view of the court is that it's a check on democracy, that it protects our rights from hostile majorities. Um, But if you actually look at how the courts ruled over the years, it doesn't tend to stray very far away from public opinion most of the time. So having the court issue a ruling that's out of line with where most Americans stand does... um, not the leak, but the decision itself would threaten to undermine its legitimacy and would be out of character with what the court has typically done, although this is a quite conservative court. And so this may be the beginning of a period where the court is historically unusual in that it's getting out of step with public opinion. Yeah. How do you view the actual you know, merits of, of the ruling and, and throwing the, the precedent kind of out the window here? Because it's supposed to be that a change, you don't change the law unless it was like a major move in the wrong direction, right? Which is what Alito, I guess, is trying to argue here. Yeah, I just think there's no way to understand this opinion as anything other than politics. Um, it's right. We have had elections where an issue is made of putting justices on the court who would do exactly this. um, And now they're doing it. And it's a huge change in the constitutional law. um, And it's hard to see any explanation for why that change occurred other than who won certain Senate races and certain presidential elections. Mark, uh, which party, from a a political point of view, wins on on this thing in terms of uh, the midterms? Does this drive 
Democrats to the to the polls? Does it drive Republicans to the polls? Does it do neither? You know, traditionally, this has been a good issue for Republicans, but but, but here it's different. I mean, we're talking about you've got, uh, you know, the Senate is tied 50-50. Well, you've got dead heats right now in places like Florida. Marco Rubio is being challenged. Well, by about 10 percentage point, the public favors abortions there, legal abortion. Same in Pennsylvania, where you have an open seat. Um, you know, I, I think this is the proper um, avenue for people to get angry is, is at the politics. I mean, the U.S. Senate, the Republic, a majority of the U.S. Senate supports legal abortions and would pass a law to do so. But there's a filibuster that will stand in the way. Um, and, and and I'm sort of curious, um, you know, and I wonder if I can ask Professor Ehrman. I come from a family of constitutional constitutional law professors, so I have great respect. And I don't know the answer to this. I don't know if you do, but you pointed out that it has its precedent, uh, you know, 55 years after Plessy versus Ferguson, when, you know, separate but equal was Supreme Court doctrine in the board, Brown versus the Board of Education. They said, no, you know, that, that that's not our standard anymore. And they overturned that and they segregated, they stopped, they, they integrated public schools. Is there a difference? And I don't know if you can tell us this, but based on the facts of this, did they have more justification, forgetting about the policy implications of it, to overturn that precedent that today's justices have in terms of overturning Roe? Yeah, I'm happy to speak to that. Um, I think everybody today agrees that Brown versus Board of Education was rightly decided. And so history has judged it well. Um, and at the time, the United States federal government wanted the court to step in and say something about how desegregation wasn't the American way because that was useful in the fight for the Cold War. Um, here, the court is taking a position that's going to be broadly unpopular, as you've just pointed out. And, um, and I think that's gives it institutionally, just puts it on much thinner ice. Um, as for the nature of the arguments, in the end, that's gonna be a little bit of a tricky question. Today, it's self-evident that racism is a terrible reason to do anything, but there've been periods in our history where that was not self-evident. Um, and abortion is a much more contested landscape. And unless there is a sea change in thinking that creates a consensus, um, it's hard to see how this decision will come to be thought of as anything like Brown versus Board. Uh, Sam, this is no longer the Chief Justice's court. Am I right? That's right. And in some ways, um, the notion of courts being the chief justice's court is always um, a little bit of a misnomer because it's the justice who's the swing vote on any issue who really has the most power on the court. Mark, you were talking about Democrats getting mobilized because of this. Do they, though, in some part, or at least some, some of the party leadership, do they share some of the blame for this happening? I've seen plenty of backlash over the last night and this morning against uh, this president in particular, who didn't actually say the word abortion until I think this morning. And people are saying, why weren't you fighting harder the whole time? I don't know if that Biden, anything Biden can do to change the way the court looks at it, and even the Senate. He's not going to start convincing, you know, the Mitt Romneys of the world, uh, you know, the more moderate Republicans uh, to, to 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 change their views. 
I mean, the frustration for the Democrats is the reason that there is a conservative majority on the court doing this is because, well, it's part because Donald Trump, who lost the popular vote, um, you know, was was president. He got to name three justices. And in California in particular, the system is very, very unfair. I mean, you've got a state like Wyoming with a population, I don't know, probably less than El Segundo. And they've got the same Senate power as the state of California. And it's the Senate that confirms these folks. So, you know, again, when 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 when, Don, when Barack Obama tried to put Merrick Garland on the court, he's not on the court. We have Neil Gorsuch, who's going to be part of this majority opinion instead. And that's because of games that Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, played. But that is all possible. Uh because we have a system that favors the small states. Mark, I am curious, uh, for what, half a century, the rallying cry for Republicans, many of them anyway, uh, has been to overturn Roe v. Wade. If, in fact, Roe v. Wade is overturned, what do they then sell potential voters? Oh, you underestimate their creativity. First of (laughs) all, they'll want to codify Roe v. Wade. They will say that, you know, California, Roe v. Wade doesn't stop people from performing abortions, it says that it is unconstitutional to, for states, it's unconstitutional to impose it nationally. Uh, The constitution doesn't ban abortion, basically what they're saying. It doesn't uh, ban bans on abortion. I'm saying that all messed up, but basically California, the law won't change. Well, Republicans, the same way Democrats this afternoon, if they want to, could pass a national law making abortions legal, which would make this whole Supreme Court argument moot. Republicans could certainly do that in the opposite direction and ban abortions nationwide. And you've got to believe that they will be pushing that because we're going to end up with assuming that this decision is the final decision. Half the country is going to have legal abortion and the other half, those of whom are rich enough to travel to the other states, will do so. And the rest will have uh, children that they don't want to have. So, Sam, this is not the end, but the start, right, of fights between states over who's a sanctuary and if you can go between them to get this done. I mean, what if somebody comes here and then their state goes after them when they get home? That's exactly right. So um, there's all sorts of legal questions that are now going to be opened up. Can states punish you for leaving the state to get an abortion and then returning? Or does that violate your constitutional right to travel? Um is the court has said the constitution doesn't require that abortions be legal, uh, but are the justices willing to go further and start recognizing rights of the unborn and requiring restrictions or illegality? Um, And as Mark pointed out, will Congress step in on one side or the other or in a ricocheting way back and forth? Um, The landscape is just, we're in for a period of a lot of change um, and turmoil. Sam Ehrman, professor and constitutional law expert at USC. Mark Sandalow, UC Center in Washington, D.C.